welcome to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda Mullet. Let's get spooky. So our first episode, I thought I'd sort of set the tone with an axe murder that I found through a ghost story in the newspaper. So in 1931, apparition yells, eludes searchers, crowd hysterical as ghost flees into cornfield. Now, when I saw this, I thought this is too good to be true. An axe murder with a ghost? And it didn't give the details of what the axe murder was, and I sort of had to take a few days and think about it, figure out how I can find the axe murder. But I did find the murder. But first, let me tell you this, talk about this hilarious article. Okay. So the ghost of Glen Mills still roams the wooded slopes of Delaware County, overlooking the winding little country road where it first appeared some weeks ago. It eluded a ghost hunt stage recently. The lean, cadaverous thing, which sits atop a boulder and slinks into the thickets of an apple orchard with an eerie scream when closely approached appeared promptly as the clock pointed to midnight. The apparition was seen to rise from the weeds and tall grass on the cliff and stand silhouetted against the light of a hot yellow moon and plainly visible to the hundreds of persons who had congregated on the narrow road for the hunt. So apparently they, uh, hundreds of people would gather for ghost hunts in Pennsylvania in 1931, who knew? Eludes deputy, crowd hysterical. As a special deputy sheriff of Delaware County, Thomas Kelly dashed up the hill. The ghost vanished into a cornfield. Instantly, the crowd became hysterical as hundreds searched forward for a glimpse. The tenants of the nearby farmhouse toward which the apparition fled, that is my cat, (laughs) rushing to the hill and threatening to shoot anyone who trespassed on the property. She is now on my lap. Within a few minutes, two girls in a roadster several hundred yards down the road near a spring house screamed as the ghost dashed across a field and darted for a low stone spring house beside their car. Their screams brought hundreds. When efforts were made to organize a posse to search the house, the owner refused permission. Now this is what really caught my attention. Hatchet murder recalled. On the incline, above the road, and near the rock where the ghost has appeared every other night during the last ten days, stands an old farmhouse. Now some of the superstitious folks claim that the house and the apple orchard are responsible for the appearance of the apparition because it was the locale for a hatchet murder some three years ago. Shortly after, an old man who hacked his son-in-law to death finished the deed, he walked to the apple orchard. He was found by neighbors swinging from a tree in the morning. So, it was my job to find an axe murder three years prior to 1931. And I found the precise murder it is talking about. Let me pull up the article here. My cat, Luna, is currently in the way. Okay. (laughs) You might hear her purring. All right, so the Chester Times, June 8th, 1928. 
Farmer, 75, hangs self after killing son-in-law. Glen Mills family feud ended when younger man's skull is crushed by an axe as he sleeps. Slayer runs 300 yards to woods to die, a suicide. A family feud that had its inception two years ago ended yesterday when Lewis K. Hopkins, now I will let you know that is a misprint, according to all the other articles, his name was Levin Hopkins. Okay, Luna, do not step on the desk, please. Thank you. So Levin Hopkins, 75-year-old farmer of Glen Mills, took an axe and killed his son-in-law, Samuel Stoy, 41 years old, who was asleep on a couch in the small farmhouse occupied by both the Hopkins and Stoy families. The murderer then ran from the scene of the crime and, using an improvised noose, ended his life by hanging from a tree near his home. The murder was discovered by the wife of the victim, who had been working in the garden of the home with her father. She thought nothing when her father threw down a scythe he was using to cut grass and remarked, I'm through. Thinking he was walking into the house to get lunch, she continued working and heard no cries as her father swung the axe and snuffed out the life of her husband. About 12.30 o'clock, Mrs. Stoy went into the house to awaken her husband, who had to leave home early to get to his place of employment in Philadelphia, where he was engaged as an engineer in a dye works in a dye works at night, and almost swooned when she raised the shades in the darkened parlor and saw patches of blood on the sheet covering her husband on the couch. She then ran to the home of a neighbor where her mother was visiting and gave the alarm. She expressed her suspicions that her father was the murderer as he had mysteriously vanished. According to County Detective O.N. Smith, who investigated the murder and suicide, Mrs. Stoy, though prostrated with grief, made a statement to him in which she intimated that her father was mentally deranged and had been driven to commit the drastic deed because he thought he was compelled to work. This morning, my husband told Daddy to let me do, not to let me do all the work in fixing the garden and a few other things about our home and to help me a little, Mrs. Stoy stated. My husband then went to sleep on the couch in the front room. He is employed with the Walton Dye Works in Philadelphia and works during the night, and Daddy began to mow the lawn and paint the fence that surrounds our property. He appeared to be in his usual spirits. That is, I did not notice anything radical about his actions. We worked out in the yard until late in the morning. About 11.30, Daddy suddenly threw down the scythe with which he had been cutting the grass, and with an explanation that he would not need that anymore, walked quickly toward the house. I did not think anything about that and continued on working in the yard. My mother was helping me in the yard at the time also. About 12 o'clock, I made my way into the house so as to awaken my husband that lie might get ready to go to work. I walked into the darkened room. The shades had been drawn, turned on the radio, and then raising one of the curtains, turned to the couch where my husband had been sleeping. At first, I did not notice anything the matter with him, but when my eyes fell upon the blood on the sheet that he had pulled over him, I rushed over and then saw the splashes of blood on the wall. I screamed and ran to get my mother. We returned and found that he was dead, his head having been crushed. 
almost frantic and suspecting that daddy had done the deed, though I could not think of any reason why he should unless it was because my husband had asked him to help me work. We went to look for him. He usually slept a great deal, but he was not in the house. We then went out in the garden, and when he could not find him there, mother rushed across the field to the home of a neighbor for aid. The district attorney's office was notified of the crime by neighbors a few minutes after his, its commission, and district attorney William J. McCarter, Jr., detailed County Detective Smith, Assistant County Detective Michael S. Trestrail, and Deputy Sheriff Burt Redding to the scene. Upon arrival, according to Mr. Smith, they immediately concluded that the man had been killed with a blunt instrument. A search was made of the premises and Detective Trestrail Trestrail. Soon unearthed the blood-stained axe that had been replaced in a garage by the father-in-law after the killing. After talking with Mrs. Stoy, though she could not advance any definite motive that would prompt her father to do such a ghastly deed, the detectives began to make a search of the premises in an effort to locate Hopkins, the police of various adjacent towns having been notified to watch for a man of his description. Detective Smith and Deputy Sheriff Redding, in walking over the grounds surrounding the small frame farmhouse, noticed some fresh footprints in the grass. Immediately, they decided that the evidently mad father-in-law had momentarily sought safety in flight. Dispatching Detective Trestrail, oh my goodness, to media for the purpose of directing the investigation from that section, Detective Smith and Redding then concluded to follow the fresh trail. We climbed over two high-wire fences and following the trail, Detective Smith stated, and on each occasion there were plainly visible signs of someone having jumped the fence in what we supposed to be a hurried flight. The trail of fresh footprints now led us into the orchard of the farm, situated about 300 yards from the house. They suddenly stopped, that is, we could not distinguish their direction any longer, and for a few moments we were in confusion. Redding, however, wandered off, a little to the side, and a moment later I heard him yell, Come here, Nick. Come, come quick. Here he is now. I ran over to where Redding was standing and looking at a tree in horror. There, dangling from the limb of an apple tree, was the dead body of Hopkins. He, having fastened a piece of sash cord around his neck, climbed up the tree and then jumped to his death, the impact of the tightening of the noose jolting his false teeth partially out of his mouth. I cut him down, and Redding and I then notified Deputy Coroner Rigby of media, who a few minutes later arrived and took charge of the bodies. To quote, The dead men are survived by their wives, Mrs. Marie Stoy, age 25, and Mrs. Irene Hopkins, age 72. Mrs. Stoy also told the detectives that they had recently purchased the farm, that her father might have the advantages of the country atmosphere, he having become somewhat peculiar in his actions and thoughts. Now, my first reaction to this um, was perhaps that he had dementia and it wasn't as widely discussed and talked about at that time. Um, but I'm not sure. Now, what's also interesting is that the wife did remarry three months later. Um, obviously, this is a horrible, horrible tragedy, but it is a very interesting story, and we will remember the victim 
Mr. Samuel Stoy, age 25. Now this story came at a request for the southeastern Pennsylvania area and you can request your area and I'll likely be able to find a hatchet murder or some other sort of old-time murder. Um, at this time I'm only covering old-time murders because I do not want living victims to stumble upon these stories. Um, and I'm also accepting submissions for ghost stories, so this was the perfect first episode, I believe. Now, if you want to submit your area for me to research, you can email me at theaxemurderdiaries at gmail.com. Alright, thanks for listening. This has been the very first episode of The Axe Murder Diaries. Stay spooky.